nice to hear from you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, and just as like I guess an introduction, um, we've had many guests on, and they're all amazing and they're all wonderful. But I can honestly say that there is probably no guest that we've ever had on or can ever have on that teaches me more about anything during every conversation that we have. And I feel like I come out of every conversation we have together, a better person and more knowledgeable. And all on top of that, for the topic we'll be discussing today, we could have not found a better person to discuss this with. And I am sure we will all all come out being not experts, but yeah, we're all just going to come out. To experts. Be queer after this <laughs> Perfect. And with that, um, Welcome, Emma. Thank you. I'm glad it's a podcast because otherwise you'll see me like blushing like a beetroot right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I just rolled out of bed, honestly, so <laughs> it's not really good for <laughs> my end as well. So thanks for audio. So yeah, so Chris, this is Emma. Hey, Hi, Emma. Um, I don't know, Emma, if you want to like... T- Actually, no, you, we don't even know the topic we're talking about. Sorry, Chris, I forgot to introduce that. I got so excited. I'm just like ready to go. Sorry. Yeah. And you just mentioned too, you just roll out of bed. So you will be, you are forgiven. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My sleeping schedule has been in, just completely off. This I past feel you. Yeah. I the have worst. no idea what's happening. It's it's the change of seasons. I blame yeah, it on fall. <laughs> but it's okay. Here we are. And so we've talked about many different things also in the past, right? So, But we generally keep our conversations about a specific topic in the way that it's a specific media or food or one reaction to something. I think the the real um, exception to that was maybe the podcast we had with Sophia where we just talk about operas in general as a medium. Mm. But today... We're not only going to talk about a specific uh, medium, but we're going to talk about a specific concept or um, aspect within the medium itself or within the industry that the medium is. Uh... Yes. Sorry. Wow. I can't speak today. Situated, but that's whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. And today we'll be going to be talking about something that I think is I know that is up Chris's alley in particular. And it's one of his favorite topics to discuss. And we're t- going to talk about diversity and representation in video games. Aha! <laughs> nice. So, I don't know, Emma, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit to see yeah. maybe why we brought choose we chose to brought you on to the podcast yeah, sure. i mean um, obviously you're an amazing person but <laughs> on top of that um well yeah i mean i i am a video game researcher and i'm a lecturer in game design um but also if you are a religious listener of this podcast and you've listened to the episode about smash bros or about ghost in the shell i'm also the wife of that guy <laughs> i'm your wife as well um and yeah like i I mean, yeah, diversity is obviously, it's a huge umbrella term and it's such a big um, topic to grapple with that I think yeah, it's probably important at this stage to kind of stake out and say, we probably, yeah, we won't cover every angle and think through, you know, every part of it. But I do think it's such a valuable thing to discuss in order to restore some of that nuance that kind of gets lost when diversity does just become this big catch-all buzzword, basically. Um, yeah, one of my pet peeves is when people say, 
um, oh, this this is a really diverse character because she's uh, an African-American woman or something like that. Because I'm like, diverse compared to what? <laughs> like, an individual is is not a, a diversity, an instance of diversity. Um, yeah, and so I think in those kind of situations, it's it's almost like add women and stir or add a black person and, and shake to kind of create a diversity. And I think, yeah, in those instances, I'd rather people didn't kind of go there and instead maybe, I mean, I would rather people talk about this is the homogenous character. This, this, this white male hero is a, is a predictable cookie cutter character. I'd rather kind of shift the conversation to talk about why there's a context in which this, this black female character is a diversity or something like that but yeah but yeah I'm I'm pretty passionate about this topic not like not just because I think representation in media really matters because it gives us a fa- like a framework and a scaffolding for how to interpret the world how to engage with other people um but also from kind of game design perspective I think um it just makes for better games and when we talk about diversity as well like obviously we can talk about diverse identities and we could talk about the diversity of the workforce and those two things are really important and wrapped up together. But a kind of third connected type of diversity is a diversity of experiences, a diversity of, of stories, of perspectives, of, yeah, like of gameplay to be really reductive as well, like just to have um, more options um, and, yeah, a broader horizon of of video games so yeah from a design perspective I think thinking through these questions is actually going to lead us to creating a better body of video games and I'm talking then again as well about mainstream kind of AAA which is like big kind of the equivalent of a Hollywood blockbuster kind of thing in the indie scene there's already um, a much more breadth of experiences available because of there's there's greater diversity in those spaces too. It's an interesting topic because when you talk about media at a larger scale, there has been moves within, I mean, we talk about film and television all the time on this show, and there has been, you know, a general trajectory towards trying to be more inclusive. To what extent that's successful is up for debate, and actually, no, probably not. They're not that successful (laughs) with it, and they're trying to, like, move, but it's coming slow, and it's really interesting, you know, to see what you're talking about in the video game world because everything that i've heard or experienced has you know been that it's been a little bit slower and a very male dominated industry to begin with even more so than film and media or film and television but it's as you mentioned the diversity of experiences and the diversity of voices are some of the things that i personally find or i mean we talk about a lot on this as being some of the most enriching things that we can you know engage with and it is this sort of has reminded me of a show that actually we haven't talked about and it's uh, a show and it's a show called uh wow sorry i'm gonna pivot there and redo this so it reminds me of something that we actually haven't talked about on this show and i think i'd like to talk about um oh my god Sorry. Wow. What is happening to me right now? Hold on one second. Let me just grab a drink of water. Big breath. I'm, I'm going to yeah. deliver, deliver you a coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm having mine now. Oh, God. What is happening? I don't know what I even want to say right now. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that 
there's two aspects of representation. One is the ability to represent a character, a different voices, and to show a different cast of experiences that go into it. And specifically with film, and I and I wonder to what extent that's the case with video games. Is there comes a point or a line in which one thing is also seen as good for itself or good for the actual content in and of itself and diversity is sort of not the only reason that it is enjoyed but it is enjoyed for for many different sort of reasons if that makes sense and it is like one part of a larger tapestry of quality or of the aspects of it so for example one show that i really like and i've been watching recently is called reservation dogs it's yeah, a show. So tell me about this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if to anyone who's not familiar, it's a show uh, by FX and it streams on Hulu and it's set on a Native American reservation following around these four teenage children just living on reservation, living their lives and going through different emotional journeys and um, developments throughout the show. It's a it's a beautifully done show. It happens to be about Native Americans written and directed by a Native American director in in uh, collaboration with Taika Waititi who's probably the most famous um indigenous or half in, uh, I guess half indigenous uh, director in the world right now. And I mean from New Zealand obviously not indigenous from the United States or North America. But it's a beautiful show in and of itself. And it is also a great case study for the value of diversity, loosely, but the value of demonstrating different experiences and also catering those different experiences specifically to a world that is can be unfamiliar to a lot of people or unfamiliar to the media larger media landscape, but so hyper-specifically representative of... A, um, a subsection or a section of society that is often overlooked. So all that is to say is that this is something that has been moving toward, we've been moving towards slowly in film and television. And we discuss this all the time on this, on this podcast, but I'd like to see, like, I'd like to get from your perspective, Emma, how, what has been the, I guess, the historical problems maybe with the video game industry, how that has developed and what has uh, kind of plagued the industry as a whole, whether it be representation in the video games themselves or um, obviously diversity in the workplace has been an issue, I think. Um, But I'd love to get your thoughts on how things have gone and what things are. uh, Yeah. 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 So like you said, like, I mean, I haven't watched Reservoir Dogs, but from the way you described it, the reason why it's effective is because it shows like a fullness of life um, that can undo some of the harm caused by stereotyping. And that's why, again, where someone says to me, oh, yeah, this black female sniper in my new military co-op is diverse. Um, You know, then for me, I'm like, okay, well, is she sassy? Is she angry? you know, is she a love interest? Is she a supporting character who just throws you a grenade every now and then? Um, you know, to what extent is she stereotyped essentially um, and made flat and made two dimensional and is serving to reinforce kind of ignorance and reinforce a, a kind of narrow and shallow view of other human beings? Um, and yeah, and then again, that that translates, like you said, to the industry where you have, I don't know, 
a company like Activision Blizzard, for example, who's currently embroiled in a big lawsuit in the state of California, they kind of boast figures that, oh, 35% of their workforce is female or is not male, um, which is bragging rights in the games industry, because as you said, it's the, yeah, the gender split is pretty bad. Um, but this lawsuit, you know, is revealing that the the culture at that company um, is being described as frat bro culture, which I think is a bit of a strange way to pronounce institutionalized misogyny, but there we go. Um, but yeah, it's describing, you know, really um, a very, very toxic and very, very hostile sexist and, and racist workplace. And that's the issue with the kind of, as I said, like add women in stir or add non-white people in shake is that um, if you don't actually change the system that puts maleness and puts whiteness and puts cisgenderedness and heterosexuality at its center then um you haven't done something diverse you've just replicated the system as is but you've also just put someone in a really awkward and uncomfortable and toxic environment on top of that um but yeah I think video games are an interesting test case when you compare them to film and television because they also um work in, in a similar way in the sense that video games are about systems and, and they're about rule sets essentially um and even the, the like the characters themselves we talk about skinning a character because characters are built from you know a skeleton well they're from code and then a skeleton and then um the animations and, and the sort of visuals are a layer that is on top of that and so for example if you're in a game where you can choose your gender um the the female version the long hair blusher and mascara version of your super cop or your super soldier or whatever is actually still just a skin she's just a kind of decorative alternative she's the marked version of what is on a skeletal level still a male body with a male gestural vocabulary doing man stuff headbutting aliens and exploding things not saying that women can't headbutt aliens but I'm not trying to go down a kind of biological essentialist route but what I'm saying is just same same um and yeah the diversity of that is a kind of a sprinkling of sparkles but it's not really fundamentally changing anything um and again there's to go to the historical perspective if we think about some of the earlier video games where the audiovisual elements were limited by what was possible to create with the technology at the time so you had just little 8-bit pixel characters and you had you know your, your beep boop soundtrack <laughs> not trying to be dismissive I mean some of those games are masterpieces and stand the test of time but you know what I mean um and so in order to be really visually clear about who was the baddie who was the goodie and what your goal was these had to be you know the characters had to be exaggerated to a certain level um and the storylines had to be extremely simplified so that again they were basically just skins so if you're playing um as jump man and you need to know that, that the big scary monkey throwing barrels at you is the bad bad and the pretty lady in the dress is your goal is your prize is your end point that's obviously just um it's easy to communicate that because it's a story of the damsel in distress and it's a story of knight errant and heroism that's um kind of pervaded all cultures for a long period of time so you could almost say in that instance the gender of the characters is not really about representing reality it's about communicating a rule set it's telling you how to play through, through the audiovisuals 
Um, but yeah, fast forward to today where we almost have, you can make a game basically hyper real. You can make it photo realistic and you can have amazing, you know, motion capture acting and voice acting and stuff like that, where you can really have, um, yeah, something that gets to the core of the human experience um, and feels incredibly relatable. You can have these parasocial relationships emerge because characters are so compelling and so believable and so rich and complex and so on. And yet because of the the lineage of games and because of this heritage, that that's down to the distress template is still seen um, today. It's seen as a formula that's safe and a formula that works, that people know how to respond to it. And yeah, that's when we kind of get into the sticky area because what I'm trying to say is all games, you know, even a game of chess, for example, you have your king and your queen and your knight or whatever. They're not really representations of those things, but they are ways of describing what that what the mechanics of the game are and how you win. You know that if you get the other player's king, then you, you've, you've toppled his empire and you're the triumphant victor. But actually, it's not about the goriness of battle and it's not about, you know, political intrigues and depositions and so on. Um so yeah, I think games are a really interesting test case in contrast to film and television because they have they ha- they have the fact that they can model systems. They can tell you, look, these are the structures that produce certain behaviors, and that can make them incredible tools for you know critiquing hegemonic power, for critiquing oppressive systems, and so on. And saying like, look, when you're stuck within this rule set, how can you subvert it? How can you be playful? How can you experiment? How can you think outside of these rules? How can you? mod them or hack them or, or you know <laughs> work around them basically um to resist their rigidity and that's like I think really really powerful but then again the flip side is that they're also they're not people that are being represented they're rules that are being represented and that is sometimes reductive um so yeah I think it's just it's a cool battleground to, <laughs> to use very video gaming word it's a cool arena um, to kind of fight for these different things because yeah there's all these complexities inherent in it and those problems are not they're, they're challenges to be overcome rather than insurmountable problems that we should just throw out video games because we're like oh they're never gonna you know produce utopian visions of society because they always have to have a winner well okay that's that that's interesting like all right we have something that's maybe fundamentally competitive at its heart and that turns individuals against each other what can we do? How can we change that? How can we tweak that? What can we, how can we reflect on, <laughs> on, uh, yeah, how our society is built that's produced systems like this? And yeah, can we, can we experiment and come up with different systems? And yeah, so for me, that's like, why not to say like, obviously, I'm still interested in representation in film and television very much so. And, you know, it's one of the reasons like, I've never really enjoyed superhero movies, or, <laughs> or even like, actually, I'm not gonna, go into that because I probably I'll say something that will <laughs> upset someone um but yeah no go ahead we love upsetting people <laughs> I was gonna say we're all here for that <laughs> well just because I you know I always feel like those films are just talking over my head because I am not the one being invited to imaginatively project myself onto the the lycra clad hero um you know and so for me there's no there's no thrill no pleasure in in watching those things because I just feel shut out of them and this isn't because like you can't solve it by having Spider Girl. I mean, maybe a little bit, <laughs> but it's because fundamentally, um, yeah, I, it's just uh, it's something about when you're not represented, when you're not reflected back as a full human person in the text, 
it's then quite difficult for you to set that aside and still want to be vulnerable enough and enthusiastic enough to go head over heels wholeheartedly diving into a text when you know they don't really want you there it's not really for you and you're not really welcome um yeah wow sorry i'm just (laughs) processing everything that you just said there and it's there's so much in that uh kind of dissect i guess um i found it very interesting that you mentioned sort of you know this damsel in distress trope or uh <laughs> <laughs> wow you're really struggling to yeah it. so i'm so sorry i'm I, i'm gonna have to do a lot of editing for this one but i found it very interesting that you mentioned that because it also to a certain extent lives on the legacy of earlier entertainment forms right whether it goes back to mm-hmm. um fairy tales or older stories that have been passed down for generations and been kind of set with a certain standards and it's interesting when you mentioned like also so you mentioned sort of the rules of the video game right and how that is created one of the things that i really it actually like made me think of a lot of the more complex quote-unquote film universes that we discuss and there are so many sets of rules and and regulations i guess within that and understanding how that works is part of the active viewing experience it's a very different thing than when you're watching or even actually even when in a singular film when you're you have to set up the rules of the world instantly right it is not as an active process clearly and something that you can't be as potentially playful and uh and uh, subversive within it and i find that act that act aspect of subversion really interesting and i wonder how would you say like that maybe potential culture of of subversion can lead or leads to differentiation within you know the experiences that are represented or potential for that movements moving forward yeah i mean yeah i kind of i mean lots of video games do tell linear narratives they do have a beginning middle and end that's kind of non-optional um but I think the kind of key difference between games and um, media like film or or, no, or like the novel, for example, is the film and the novel, they tell stories in time, whereas video games tell stories in space. They're, they're spatial storytelling tools. So you have these environments that are kind of haunted with story that are kind of, yeah, story pervades these spaces and you can encounter as much or a little of the story as you want. But um and I mean, like sometimes in a really obvious kind of Bioshocky way, that's like, oh, here's an audio diary. Let me listen to it and find out what happened to this corpse. Um, but at other times in more subtle ways where, you know, you just look at the furniture in a room and you get a sense of what somebody's life was like there. And from that, you kind of extrapolate a story. So, yeah. So in summary, like a, in in watching a film, they, they, they show you the narrative. And from that narrative, you work backwards and deduce the rules of that society and the systems that have produced and molded the characters to be the way that they are. But in video games, not in all, but in, in many, they start with the rules of society. They start with the systems that produce behaviors. And then they, and then you, the narrative emerges from the player's engagement with those rules and with those systems. So there is a sense, maybe, I mean, we call it like, let's call it agency, although probably some game scholars will be like, no, don't say agency, <laughs> we're not going to define it. Um, but let's call it agency or an illusion of agency. There we go. That's my workaround. Um, where, yeah, you feel that 
um, yeah, you're feeling your way through a story as you are the unfolder of the story, basically, rather than just witness to the stories unfolding. And yeah, that that sense of agency can be really subversive because you can there's space for you to to be disobedient and to kind of dissent and say no, I don't I don't appreciate how this is is going. And whether that's yeah, whether that's how you express yourself in the texts by I don't know yeah trolling <laughs> or something, or whether that's just your reaction to it. But yeah, because play is like play is a, is always a meta activity. There's always a sense that you're aware that you're playing. Um, even when you're very immersed in a storyline, even when you really just suspend your disbelief and you really invest in a character and so on. Um, yeah, unlike kind of the cinema where you're you're sat in a darkened room and you're invited to have this kind of ghostly voyeur experience, you're invited to be disembodied and just let the, the world on the screen um, encompass everything. With the game, you know, the, the story is what emerges between you and the device so there's always a sense that I'm still present I'm still doing this um and yeah I think like you said Michelle, like that's the the potential for subversion is 100% there um because the text is a collaborative event that said you know again depending on the genre of video game that you're playing um, and the type of player that you are many games are about rewarding absolute perfect compliance to the rules (laughs) absolute mastery of the rules and then you get the high score and in a way you know it's perfect obedience um and you know kind of workhorse like dedication to the grind that um kind of characterized that those types of playing experiences and for me okay I can see why someone can get a lot of pleasure out of that they can feel really fulfilling to yeah get the high score and beat your time or whatever it is but yeah there's not there's little that's subversive about that type of engagement um and yeah the high kind of hyper competitive engagement um I'm not a very competitive person not a very competitive player I'm definitely more like the 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 chaos element the the joker who is just like there for the fun (laughs) rather than for the wins so what type of games do you like to play then I I literally I like I enjoy pretty much anything and everything um with very yeah with some exceptions um in fact yeah when I was thinking about giving examples of like really good good representation and then bad representation I was like well it would be really easy for me to just point at you know one of these genres or one of these types of games that I really don't like like I'm really not into military shooters for example um mm like it not historically I have like I used to love the Medal of Honor series like I was obsessed with that like my favorite thing to do age 11 was to go into the big Nazi house in the Medal of Honor 3 and just blow up fascists on the toilet like that brought me a lot of joy <laughs> as a preteen um but yeah it, w- it would be almost like too much of a dunk for me to be like oh yeah these games are like growing out of the military entertainment complex and they're just propaganda for war like okay yeah obviously um and same for like I could obviously point at any one of these games with hypersexualized women with massive inflatable breasts and chainmail bikinis and all the kind of thing but I was like no I should pick a game series that I actually really enjoyed playing but nonetheless is absolute trash in terms of uh, yeah in terms of the social impact of a of yeah of the messaging that it's it's going so I, I yeah the one I the 
the kind of group of texts that I picked for that is actually the the Quantic Dream games. I don't know if you if either of you have ever played them, but the kind of most famous title like Heavy Rain um, mm, was mm-hmm. kind of award winning one. But then they had Beyond Two Souls um, with Elliot Page in, and then they had the most recent one was called Detroit Colon Become Human, um, which came out in 2018, in which you know I I played and absolutely like loved playing I thought it was really really fun really compelling um beautifully like like visually you know a gorgeous gorgeous cyberpunk game but in terms of representations almost traumatic in how bad um the depictions of women were and also like the random appropriations of different races and yeah yeah it's I mean I could go into I could rant about it if you want me to but it will please We're always here for rants, so we're doing that all the time as yeah. well. So please, I think it's a, a good, space. it is a good example because it's a kind of fiction reflecting reality thing where David Cage, the kind of self styled auteur who was at the helm of Quantic Dream, you know, he was again in court early last year or earlier this year um, because yeah, he was being sued for a toxic and inhospitable and sexist racist homophobic workplace um and I was what I was curious as well whether any of the games that had been produced under his leadership would be used as evidence in courts because they are yeah I mean if that those are the values of the company they're really writ plain in the games so for example we're talking about stereotyping versus diversity so in every single David Cage game I've ever played there's always the the slim white um, conventionally attractive female deuterogonist, never the protagonist, but she's always, you know, she's she's there, she's present um, and playable. Um, and without fail, she will be tied down to a table or to some kind of machinery and menaced by the villain, a villain, usually with some sort of phallic-looking weapon like a pneumatic drill or something. And she's always there, helpless, screaming, flailing around. Now, as a one-off, obviously, this is speaking back to the damsel trope. It's very, yeah, it's it's extremely predictable to the point of being boring, to be honest, to being just, um, yeah, nothing innovative or artistic about that, despite the fact that David Cage says he's the next, like, um, he's the next, he's the most... I can't remember what he said, but some, basically he was positioning himself as like the next Nobel Prize winner for literature for France, basically. Um, <laughs> he's, he really has a very high opinion of himself. Um, yeah, so these are, you know, really disturbing, really uncomfortable, um, rapey and violent and kind of just gross scenes. And they're always long as well, you know, extended. And the point is when you're playing, you're playing as the, the tied up woman. And you're supposed to be doing quick time event style button presses to help her save herself from being, uh, yeah, I don't know, sexually violated and then dismembered by, by the villain. But in those moments, it becomes really, really stark and clear that you're not actually meant to identify with the struggling woman. You are there in some third space as as the hero, basically as the the rescuer, and you are protecting this woman and saving this woman. That's your that's the subject position available to you as the player. You're not the one strapped to the table um and that sensation is not you know it's not kind of me projecting it's something that's shaped by the 
the artistic and rhetorical decisions made by the designers. So it's like where the camera is looking, how it's lingering on her boobs for no reason, you know, how her clothes have suddenly been ripped in such a way that her pants are on show. Um, but yeah, so it's in the camera angles and who's looking and what kind of gaze is there, but also in the actual controls itself, like button presses can be um, mimetic, but they can be, they can be metonyms, which is like a small version of the actual big gesture right so if I'm tied down and struggling maybe some button presses that I would map onto that quick time event would be things that mimic the experience of struggling but they're not they're things that mimic the experience of cutting ropes or something for example anyway the point is that these scenes are supposed to you know titillate the the straight male player who is very much the implied subject position with this rape fantasy while it's also you know morally um (laughs) redeeming him by saying no you're actually the rescuer you're actually the hero you get to enjoy this up the panty skirt shot or whatever but you're not the gross guy with the with the drill you're the hero coming in to save this generic character and you know the fact that it happens in all three games that I've played recently and that all the women look incredibly similar as well they're always like short hair sassy journalists with way too much cleavage to be appropriate for a professional context and yeah and it's just things like that where you just know that a woman was not involved in this scene it was not involved in the design of the scene I mean a woman was definitely not involved in any aspect of of heavy rain at all I remember there's one scene where that same woman who is strapped to the table screaming and flailing around she's in a bar in a club and there's a terrible very racist caricature of a Latino man who is this overweight drug dealer. And as a good journalist, Madison, the, the female character, has to seduce him because that's that's what women do when, they, when they're journalists. Um, so she tries to dance sexy, but her skirt is too long and she is not dolled up. Therefore, this, this <laughs> drug dealer is not interested in her. So she goes to the bathroom and the first thing she does is rip her skirt in half. I'm just like, what? I mean, immersion is completely broken at this point. <laughs> as I'm thinking, horrified women around the world being like, why would you rip up a really perfectly nice skirt? And how are you doing that? Like, what are you, what is a skirt made of? Like, <laughs> is it made of candy floss? Like, how have you done this? Um, and then the, the second thing she does is she takes out a liquid eyeliner and she puts it in the waterline, so inside, in the pink bit of her eyeball, which would what? literally, like, that would not, if you did that in real life, you would just have black liner streaming down your face in tears. You can't put liquid eyeliner inside of your eye. Mm. And the fact that this is, like, a quite a long sequence where, you know, expensive to make, it's, you know, again, <laughs> it's visually, like, incredibly well animated, but at no point in that probably hours and hours and hours it took to render that scene was a woman present or someone who wears makeup present to say, um, guys, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> yeah. And in, in the Beyond Two Souls, there's a scene where the lead character, who's a teenage girl, by the way, 17 or something, 16, 17, um, she takes a long shower scene. And in this shower, it's all steamy and it's all, again, the pervy, peeping Tom kind of subject position which feels really skin crawly and gross to occupy anyway um unless you're the target audience um but she takes this whole shower with her hair in a ponytail not taking her hair out of a ponytail 
And then she gets gets ready for a date. She doesn't even tr- dry her hair or take her hair down. I know it's like a really small thing to be wait, annoyed wait, about. Wait, wait, wait a second. She is showering in a ponytail and her hair gets wet? Yep. She, she washes what? her hair without taking it out of a ponytail. I mean, she doesn't use shampoo or anything, but she has wet hair in a ponytail. And then she just lets it dry on her head. And that's how she prepares to go on a date with a guy that she has a crush on. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. I mean, just... those are small things, but still, as someone who has a ponytail, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, like, if someone says, like, oh, you know, it's, um, you don't know, like, you know, you don't know that you can't guess the intention of the designer. And, of course, you can't. Like, I can't mind read David Cage. Not that I would want to be in in that mindscape because it's probably pretty horrifying in there but i can't i can't say david cage is, is sexist david cage is racist because i don't know him but in moments like that what i can really quite confidently deduce is that women were not considered in the design process in the story writing process as players you know and yeah so i mean that's just, yeah it's i'm saying pretty much the same thing <laughs> but without doing a kind of character assassination of that man which i kind of feel maybe i already did at this point i don't know why i'm backtracking now i'm deep in the hole with the shovel <laughs> i feel like you don't have to do anything just like stating the facts is doing enough he kind of character assassinated himself maybe yeah i think maybe i i kind of learned the lesson from um any sarkeesians like tropes versus women yeah. um thing where she you know, even though she really carefully phrases it, that it's possible to love media, but also be critical about some of the views that and the ideologies that underpin it. But the way that she tackles it is she's just like, right, I'm going to evidence dump. I'm going to get like so many examples that are literally incontrovertible that you can't say, oh, that's just your opinion. Oh, that's just how you feel. And I think, yeah, maybe that's my defensive strategy too, is to be like, okay, I can tell you how it made me feel as a female player to engage with this scene and to see this character in your in your rape fantasy but maybe you'll just say oh well you know it's just your imagination but when i can actually point to examples and be like this is just factually wrong <laughs> yeah but the, i mean just stating the facts probably is also opening up is opening up yourself to you know a lot of backlash maybe even more so because gaming is like inherently like an online thing now mm, and yeah. we all know trolls on the internet uh and you know obviously with gaming and like you mentioned Anita Sarkeesian and uh you know her you know the whole Gamergate thing as well that was probably the f one of the first times in recent history where people outside of the gaming sphere became aware of how vile that place can be unfortunately yeah It was a watershed moment, like obviously pre Gamergate, many people had been saying this is an issue, this is an issue. Um, but then, yeah, Gamergate made it undeniably the case, which I think was a double edged sword, because on the one hand, you're like, okay, we could no longer deny that the gaming community has a misogyny problem um, and a racist problem. But on the other hand, I, I wonder what the, I wonder to what extent those trolls did actually achieve their goal, which is to push women and push yeah non-straight white men out of that space to what extent was actually really quite successful in terms of staking out their territory um and how many people were put off by yeah the witnessing secondhand um the vitriol and the hatred and the threats and everything that 
um, those women experienced, not just Yuta Sarkeesian, but obviously Zoe Quinn and uh, Brianna Wu and several other other people at the time. Um, it's funny though, because I'm, I'm teaching like first year's undergrad game design at the minute, and it's a really super nice class. But when I asked them last week, who put your hand up if you know what Gamergate is? Literally like two people raised their hand. <laughs> and like, and I know because like it's they're 18, which means in 2014 they were still we we children. Um, yeah. But it also shows how quickly these these things can be forgotten if people don't make an effort to memorialize them and point to them and historicize them and put them in in some kind of context. Because yeah, now it's uh, seems to already be well. Don't worry. I mean, like with these guys, I am gonna bring it up every session no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a very quick like blow by blow of what happened but mm. so what would you say i mean you you just mentioned it uh that you are teaching game design now and what what where do you see is is there now a movement to be more inclusive which i don't know this language too is like really i don't know that that, that they're still inherently is like the white male as the default in there but um yeah it's like included in what exactly <laughs> also like diversity like diversity in what? terms of like what's the standard here and the yeah. standard unfortunately also uh, like always is the like yeah. white male but like what do you like is there is there more consciousness about it and and like what are some maybe recent examples of like actually like good representation and character design I mean, so yeah, I've been teaching game design for two years and it gives me so much, it's like a source of a lot of solace and um, it's like, yeah, I don't know, it's a very joyful experience to me, to be honest, because the class, the classes that I teach, they are made up of people from all different backgrounds, all different genders, or, you know, all different walks of life, classes and experiences and so on. And that makes these discussions it takes them out of being these kind of abstract theory type of talks that yeah, in academia and in, they can end up becoming a bit convoluted and a bit complex and actually they don't need to be. Um, yeah. I mean, for example, the questions that we can ask in a game design course are like, how can we do better? What can we practically change now with the resources that are available to us? Whereas like in a, Get critical approaches to game studies seminar or lecture <laughs> it can um, be like well maybe you know we shouldn't just do these kind of positivistic surveys of like how many of x gender is in this game maybe we should make the game out of straws no i'm just kidding but like it can be very kind of esoteric and, and yeah so i think yeah teaching teaching game design is like is really fulfilling and really encouraging for me um, because of that. And I do think as well that progress is being made. And as I said before, like we're mainly kind of critiquing the, the big mainstream games production machine um, because obviously the indie scene has always been, the kind of indie avant-garde has always been pushing boundaries and has, you know, eventually the mainstream will just steal and capitalize on their ideas that they've been doing for 10 years and so on. Um, so yeah, whenever I want to like recommend reading for the class or recommend playing for the class, I tend to go to these indie, smaller indie games, not just because, you know, they take two hours to play rather than 45 hours to play, which makes them a bit more, a bit more manageable for a class setting, but also because, yeah, they, they've been innovating and 
yeah, they have been imagining those those social utopias that I said were kind of impossible to to figure in games. Um, but in terms of mainstream games and kind of bigger budget titles, I have yeah, I have a lot of games I think do do really well. The, the first game that I thought of is a game called Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice, which was actually made by a game company that's based in Cambridge, which is where I am. Um, and it depicts um, a woman, a Norse warrior woman, who experiences psychosis. She has visual and auditory hallucinations. Um, and I think depicting mental illness is always difficult in, well, in films and in novels, because there's space for the reader or the viewer to fully dissociate from the person who's in kind of mental crisis um, and look at them, you know, with pity at best and often in, in, in films and other media, the person with the mental illness is actually the villain. So, you know, look at them with kind of disgust and horror because they're a psychopathic serial killer or something like that. Um, but because video games are first person and because you have to operate within the same constraints that your player character has to operate within, i.e. when you play Hellblade, you have to play the entire game whilst having voices talking in your ear, commenting on what you're doing, saying mean things to you, but also sometimes saying helpful things to you. And, you know, you have to tune in and tune out of, um, yeah, of the kind of audio of the game in order to complete the tasks that, that Senua, the, the protagonist, has to complete. And I think for me, that prevents you from being able to put a firm dividing line between you and the character and say, well, that character is mad. I'm not mad. Therefore, you know, they, I can empathize with them. Sure, I can imagine what that would be like for them, but it's not me. Whereas in that, when I was playing that game, you know, at one point I was playing it with headphones on and I, I think I was like a few hours in, maybe four or five hours in, and I just had to rip the headphones off and throw them across the room. And I literally screamed, shut the fuck up, excuse my French. Um, and it was like an outburst that was extremely emotional. It was a very embodied experience. Obviously, I'm chucking some headphones around, um, which I don't usually do. I'm not one of these like screamy frustration gamers who throws their control at screens or thing. Um, but yeah, I think it was a very powerful moment because not because I now know what it's like to have psychosis. Obviously, I don't. But because it was a firsthand experience of how difficult it can be to try to just go about your daily business whilst um yeah experiencing something that's so distracting and so off-putting and so on and yeah throughout the course of the game you as the player you have to kind of develop these coping strategies to manage that um and that's a parallel experience that you could then as I said go beyond empathy but actually not think about what it's like for somebody else but think about this is how it would be for me if I was somebody who heard voices for five hours I will be screaming, shut the fuck up, out loud, <laughs> alone, you know, in a public place. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good example. But the reason why Hellblade obviously was able to represent mental illness in such a kind of, um, yeah, in a sensitive and tender way as well, because the Norse warrior that you play at, she she's also not a stereotype. Like, she's very tough. She's very strong. She's really admirable, and you respect her a lot. But she's also a sensitive person. She's emotional and she's vulnerable and so on so she herself is not a flat she's not a cipher for you to fully inhabit you know there's parts of her that you don't get access to and I think that's important as well like there shouldn't be we shouldn't pretend that games can just 
yeah, we shouldn't, I think it's like in the, in games criticism, it's called like identity tourism, where you basically get to take a little vacation in someone, someone else's identity. Like, I don't think the game does that. I think it does make clear that she is her own person. Um, yeah, I suppose when I was playing that game, the, the subject position that actually I felt like I was inhabiting was I actually felt like I was one of the the passengers in Senua's mind. Like I felt like I was one of the voices um, that was part of this choral experience that she that was like her a general experience. So yeah, I think Hellblade is a is a fantastic example. But the reason why it's so good is because they actually worked with people who do hear voices on a daily basis, and they worked with psychiatrists and um, psychologists who have a lot of expertise so they were able to recreate something that isn't sensationalist and it isn't you know designed for effect and for drama and designed to scare people or something like that it's it's not and again I'm not saying it's accurate because again it's a Norse warrior fighting big hmm, deer skeleton headed (laughs) um, (laughs) underworld warriors so it's definitely not you know trying to be quote unquote realistic it's not a kind of yeah kind of gritty realism game um but yeah, it's faithful in a more important way. And I think that's, that's why what makes it such a good example of good representation. Um, yeah, the other games, I think I put down The Walking Dead, The Last of Us Part Two, and Life is Strange 2. But I put those down for different reasons, which is that not only do they, it's not just a reskinning, um, as in like, so I should say Walking Dead, you play as a middle-aged African-American man um who's this kind of like sort of soft-spoken university professor but at the beginning of the game it opens with that character lee the protagonist in the back of a police car so you see this this black man in an american cop car and obviously all of the connotations and all of the context that come with that image um but then in the course of the game when you play as lee he he has this relationship with a little not a relationship with a little girl, he has a paternal, fatherly um, connection with this little girl um, who, you know, she becomes the most important thing in the game and all you want to do is is take care of her. And so unlike a lot of male heroes in zombie apocalypse, zombie apocalypse games um, who are just, like, tough and they're there to just kill as many zombies as possible um, and that the, the child is usually just, like, a parcel to be delivered or some kind of, yeah precious object to be escorted in in the walking dead game because it's a it's a narrative choice based game um the most important thing in the game is how do you cultivate a trusting and um you know affectionate and secure relationship with this with this poor child who's you know lost everything and how do you make her feel safe and how do you do right by her how do you you know present a good role model for her to follow and that kind of thing and i think that's what makes lee a really unique character and beyond that he also encounters racism in the game so it's not like he's just he's not a sprinkling of diversity he's not just oh we're going to skin this character black because that's pandering to the social justice warriors you know his experience as a black man in the game is recognized and is integral to you know the messaging of the game as well in fact after that opening scene the policeman who's driving the car gets bitten by a zombie and then is like coming towards lee you know or crawling and zombified and stuff and lee is panicking and he has to get a gun and shoot this zombie cop you know and again without you know (laughs) expounding the point too much there's obviously so much um you can read into that that scene and that exchange so much without 
making it all about Lee's race, but also understanding how his race is part of this matrix of, it's part of this network of meaning that turns that scene into something that's complex and it's not just, oh, I gotta go shoot a zombie now. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that becomes about mindlessness and control and all this other kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's a good example. And I've, I said Life is Strange too for the same reasons, which is just, it's following two um, Mexican-American children as they flee after their father is killed in an incident of police brutality. Sorry, that's not really a spoiler. It does happen very early in the game. Um, and again, they the fact that they are um, Mexican-American is not their whole identity. You know, they are fully fleshed out characters and they don't do any kind of, they don't say like, oh, this is loco, as like they always make characters say when they're Latino in, in films and video games. Um, but at the same time, you know, their race matters and they also encounter people who treat them differently because of their race. They also encounter an unfair police state where they're discriminated against because of their race and so on. Um, and yeah, I think it's important that just because you have like a kind of Overwatch style smorgasbord of different genders and different sizes and different race and different abilities and so on, that they don't just become like props or they don't become like accessories or skins. Literally, we use the word skins to talk about it, that there's actually some sense that identity is relational identity is something that happens between individuals and between individuals and institutions and you're you're not really a woman if nobody treats you like one you know what I mean you're not it doesn't really capture the experience of being a woman that's why in games where you can just pick between a binary gender selection it's like oh I'm going to be I'm going to play this as a woman I'm going to play this as a man if it doesn't in any way change your playing experience then that is just a just a reskinning. It's not really an engagement with, with diversity, <laughs> the D word. Um. I mean, is there any that that would be an interesting design? Maybe such a game exists, but like you could where where in the beginning you can choose your character, and depending what, let's say, configuration you choose, just the game is very different, just because you are like a different gender, a different uh, yeah, you have a different skin color or whatever. Yeah, funnily enough, I actually had a guy tell me one time that he came to have a better, and he's a, a white, middle-aged, middle-class man, he had a better understanding of microaggressions because of his experience playing Dragon Age, which um, the races in Dragon Age are not to do with the colour of your skin, but you can, basically you can play as, a, as an elf, essentially, is one of the mm-hmm. options, and the elves are looked down upon by the rest of society, and they're, they're, they're definitely second-class citizens, and so on. And yeah, he he told me that his experience of playing the game, you know, he'd have an interaction with a merchant and the merchant would be very rude. And he was telling me, you know, I wasn't sure whether they were just having a bad day or whether they were being gruff with me because I was an elf. And when that happened repeatedly, you know, over several encounters, and also he was playing as a female elf as well. So it's kind of double, um, double disenfranchisement, double disempowerment, whatever. And yeah, he said that was really um, illuminating for him because he could understand how you can experience a microaggression, um, but also gaslight yourself and to be like, was that, did he, maybe he's just written, maybe he's just scripted to be a mean merchant. Maybe mm-hmm. all the merchants in this town are mean, you know, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's just how it is. But yeah, on the third or fourth time, you're like, huh, maybe it is because I'm an elf. 
that I'm getting treated this way. Um, so yeah, not maybe not the best example because obviously elves, elf is a kind of metaphor there, but um, at least from that one like anecdotal experience, I think it, it shows that you can, yeah, you can, yeah, maybe model some of these dynamics. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see where everything, like where where the gaming industry as a whole goes, because from what you just said, it sounds like there are like it's going like maybe slowly, but it is like there are things happening, and I think it's 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 a slightly different thing, but it's also like crunch, like you know, crunch in development is obviously mm -hmm. also a huge problem in the industry, and the success of Hades has shown that you don't need it. And that's, again, one of these myths that now has been disproven in a mm. sense. Yeah, that's such you, a point. Yeah, that, that like you definitely need it. And uh, it just really reminded me of this thing that a lot of people, like executives or whatever, have said for decades that, you know, having a female main character in whatever type of medium it is just wouldn't sell. And then, you know, stuff like that came out and uh, like there are success stories with it. So that's obviously just an excuse to still have white male characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we were saying before, you can't just say, oh, we have 35% women in our workforce. If fundamentally, like you said, you're still going to crunch, you're still not going to offer good maternity leave, you're still going to, you know, you don't have a zero tolerance response to sexual harassment and You, know, like you have a frat bro culture as, as we were saying like it's not about adding more women to the mix or adding more people of color to the mix it's about fundamentally changing how the industry works um so that it is actually a space that doesn't just cater towards straight white able-bodied cisgender heterosexual men um all of those identity markers in this long string hyphenated string um yeah because until yeah until you fundamentally address why the space works so well for them but not for others um you're not really going to to make change just by adding some different faces you know into the mix um especially if the people in power stay the same um because yeah if you tell me oh yeah we've got 50 female staff but your entire board is still all male then again mm -hmm. are you really what's what's really going going on there um but i think one thing that will be will be interesting as well is that at the minute it's quite difficult for your average player to create a game um as in you know for for books and novels or whatever most people well everyone can write a shopping list and some people can also write you know a pretty nice poem and other people can actually have a bash at writing a novel and the kind of entry requirements are just a laptop or just a pen and paper or so on whereas yeah the entry requirements to making your own game are a lot higher in the sense that you need to be familiar with coding or programming or you need to know how you know your way around a particular game engine and I think we're at the tipping point now where actually that's no longer going to be a requirement because we have these super accessible game engines um that are you know you never see the code because they're all kind of with a with an interface that uses something called like visual coding um so, yeah, you don't need to be writing scripts or writing lines of code. You can literally be dragging and dropping commands. Um, and I think that will be interesting because we can then have a more more of a dialogue between the people who are telling us what will sell 
and the consumer consumers or the prosumers or whatever you want to call it the the, the culture around that product actually talking back and saying no this is what we want to see and in fact if you're not going to give it to me I'm going to make it um and yeah maybe that will like kind of shift the power dynamics a little bit um yeah to the point that people feel that they can speak back um, to a degree I mean let's hope they make it but I'm sure they will I mean let's hope they will be listened to in the first place but um I was wondering is there I don't know if you can talk to that, but is there a difference in terms of like what kind of genre of video games there is? How uh, you know, like how receptive they are maybe to these sorts of matters of representation? Yeah, it's funny. So, um, yeah, again, with within genres, you have genres are kind of that unlike yeah, film or, or television or novels, where genres are about content and theme and topic. To a, to a degree, they are also about style and platform as well. But in video games, it's about the mechanics. So a first-person shooter genre is actually just describing the mechanic of, you know, not seeing your face, but just seeing your weapon or seeing your hands or whatever it is and running around seeing the world in first person. Um, and yeah, but what I think is really interesting as well is like, for example, the, the guys who made Bioshock, which is a first-person shooter, those designers and writers then went on to make a game, an indie hit called Gone Home, which is what's known kind of, it used to be as an insult, but now it's kind of embraced as a walking simulator. So all you can do in the game is move around and look at stuff. Um, and from that, an experience emerges. But it's funny to think about that the Gone Home, this kind of sweet and tender family drama about a young girl's coming out is basically built on the same engine as Bioshock, which is, you know, like a game that I absolutely love. It's iconic, it's canonical, but it's basically about running around shooting addicts <laughs> who are kind of mutants, mutant addicts, um, and so on. So, yeah, to an extent, I think the genre definitely sets people's expectations. But within that, there's so much room, as we said before, for playful subversion. I mean, even Hellblade, as I was saying before, in all of the marketing materials and all of the promotions, They just said it's a it's a slasher, it's a role playing slasher. You're you're killing big old hench deer skull people, and you play as a really cool Norse warrior, and it has Norse mythology. And in n none of the marketing did they say this is actually a game about um, somebody experiencing a mental health crisis. This is actually a game about someone who lives with psychosis. And yeah, I think that was kind of a kind of a smart move it does have like a content warning before the actual games so people don't get kind of triggered and stuff but it's um yeah I think genre is is there as these kind of strict bounded discrete categories and one really playful and subversive response to that is to kind of blur and <laughs> blend and dick around basically with genre and try to find ways to tell different stories but using those same systems and those same mechanics and I think yeah that's like a fun challenge for sure but yeah in terms of um best representation it's probably not going to be the call of duty 19 or it's probably not going to be halo 7 or whatever um those tend to stick to what works and like i said they may reskin the character so that it's now a chinese non-binary person in a, a wheelchair but ultimately um The, the data and the skeleton and the code underneath that 
is still a game in which you destroy the other. You know, it's not a game yeah. about compromise and integration and diplomacy. It's a, it's a game about somebody is different to you. And that mm-hmm. is reason enough to murder them en masse. Yeah, I was I was also just thinking probably one of the last franchises to ever make that move and probably never would be GTA. Like mm. just because changing the the char- like the character from male to female would just like solve nothing just because of the inherent treatment and depiction of uh of people in that series. Too. Yeah. It's not a win for feminism that if you can run nope. over a hooker and steal her money just because you're you're a woman. Like that's another yeah. thing as well as like equality you know, it's often talked about like, oh, we just got to get women in these male roles, right? There's no kind of questioning of like, maybe maybe the, the kind of masculine um, ideals that we're presenting here, maybe we can we can rethink, you know, masculinity a little bit rather than just getting extremely mm-hmm. strong women um, who are, you know, because the qualities that you're still valuing in that hero character are still brute physical strength and ruthlessness and mastery and the physical domination of other people and doesn't really matter who you put on that side of the binary because ultimately you're still yeah replicating a, a dynamic that's not going to solve any of the world's problems let's put it that way <laughs> yeah and just like reproduces all of the uh yeah all of the problematic bad stuff let's put it that way yeah but like i said it's so it's fascinating to me because as i said before like video games tell stories in space they don't they they are i'm not saying i'm not going to do a kind of ludologist movement say games are nothing like film theater and 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 television but they are different in in a meaningful way um so why is it that we have to inherit these tropes and these stereotypes and these um traditions from from all the media where you know all the media does represent its time in in a sense even if a film was made this year it's still rooted in traditions that are 100 years old now and obviously a novel told today can be you know completely radical and everything like that but it's still rooted in like late 19th century individualism where you have a kind of psychological storytelling that's all about how the individual reacts and responds to it and it's about you know an individual character is so compelling that we want to stick with them the whole whole story whereas you know as i said before video games are not about they're not that good at doing like deep character development of an individual, but they are so good at telling these, these sociological stories, which is about how do, how does the environment, how do individuals, how do institutions interact with each other? And what it, what, you know, you can tell stories about interpersonal bonds in a community through video games in such a compelling way, because you can tell the player, not you must identify strongly with this one character and they are the hero, and they have a mission, and what, what they want is what you want. You can actually put the player in this role of being like, I am this invisible force that is going to glue these people and this society together, and I'm going to work between them and, you know, through them. But, you know, ultimately being a hero is about is something that emerges through interactions between characters. It's not something, it's not an essential quality of an individual. You know, heroic behavior is about how we treat each other and how we take care of each other and how we you know stand up for each other and so on and that that those are experiences that exist between individuals rather than just you know 
because you're brave, because you're strong, and you're a really cool super dude, you know, <laughs> you're Superman, therefore you're invincible, um, <laughs> kind of thing. And there are plenty, there are plenty of games like that, though I'm completely blanking on them right now. <laughs> there are a lot of games that are about social systems, and I think it's like this War of Mine, for example, where you have to keep a group of civilians together and alive, and you have to make really difficult, like difficult decisions about what's the what's best for your community and you know what is the cost of survival is it worth surviving if you kind of give up your humanity in the process those kind of that kind of experience and um yeah I'm sure there's many many other many other games oh I know uh, a game that does this in a way that's really on the nose and also a game that I love and it's recent is um The Last of Us Part 2 where halfway through the game uh can I do spoilers can I do spoilers yeah, sure. for people of course way through the game you become the villain and you relive the previous three days that you've just played through as the hero Ooh. as ellie everybody's um heartthrob okay i just have a massive crush on her but <laughs> you then you know see it from the perspective of the other character abby um and yeah i think a lot of the hatred that that game got was not just because it depicts um you know because one of the lead characters is a lesbian and because it has a really good representation of of a bisexual person which um is very rare in games yeah just in general in media i would say (laughs) yeah bisexuality in games is an interesting one as well because it gets mapped onto these narrative choice mechanics so it's like it's like making the lead character bisexual is just a way of unlocking more content in a game which i find very disturbing um yeah because yeah and also makes like bisexuality making bisexuality essentially a choice like you can choose to be straight you can choose to be gay or you can choose to be bi if you want to have the best of both worlds um obviously reinforces a really biphobic stereotype which is that unlike other sexual orientations bisexuality is just a flippant whim a phase (laughs) that you dabble in before you decide whether you're whether you're straight or gay so yeah but it's very hard to encounter good bisexual representation even in like um you know life is strange two for example and life is strange one um, I think placing, yeah, positioning the protagonist's sexuality as a choice in both of those games is not, not as inclusive and as diverse as they think it is. <laughs> it's a little bit problematic. Anyway, Last of Us Part Two has a, bis- a bisexual character, and it has a trans character, a little boy who is like, again, I'm not a trans person, so I can't say, oh, it's perfect representation. But for me, you know, again the fact that he was trans was addressed in the game and the kind of the experience that he has, again, is obviously not faithful to real life because it's in a futuristic dystopian cult, zombie cult. Um, But, you know, it wasn't something that was just dropped in there without comment. But at the same time, because again, of the mechanics of the play, uh, mechanics of the game, sorry, you care so much about this little boy. The only thing you want in the world is his happiness, his well-being, his survival, and you'll literally do anything to secure that. So maybe not even from a narrative perspective, but from a mechanical perspective, I think it's quote unquote good representation because it makes you, it forces you basically to love this little boy and to, yeah, want to stop at nothing, to sacrifice. There's nothing you wouldn't sacrifice to, to kind of make sure that he's okay and that he's well and that he gets a fair shot at, at life so so yeah I think that's good but anyway yeah people hated the game or some people game gators hated the game because I think it disturbed them that these 
multiple perspectives were being shown and they didn't get to have that experience of being this unproblematic hero whose place in the world is firmly and like solidly secured by this moral binary by these kind of binaristic structures that say good versus evil man is different to woman you're either black or you're white you know whatever it is like that 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 binary that dualism was destabilizing that game because they said ha no now you're going to play as this uh as the person you've just been hunting and trying to kill for three days um and yeah a lot of that vitriol a lot of that backlash did come in the form of misogyny it was saying oh abby is too muscly like women can't have muscles oh her biceps make me puke all that kind of thing but i think peel back that that level of anger peel back that level of hurt and betrayal i think as well and what you actually see underneath all of that is that this was a space where i wanted things to be simple this is a space where i wanted to be the hero and i wanted to know i was good and you, you you took that from me by making me empathize with somebody that I wanted just to kill and have as a headshot and have as a headcount. And yeah, you've, you've, you've troubled me in that way. <laughs> yeah, how dare you make a sophisticated nuanced narrative <laughs> and characters? Yeah. And again, I guess maybe the legacy of history of video games is that some yeah. people don't come to games for that experience. I do. And I think the next generation of gamers and players does, but there's definitely still like an old guard who is like, keep your politics away from my video games. <laughs> It's just inherently like, yeah, like because all of those things that you think aren't like not political, they're like super not political, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this military shooter <laughs> where I'm using yeah. white phosphorus to kill civilians. This is not political. This is just a good, good old time. Yeah. Or what? What's what's wrong with killing zombies? <laughs> like what could that possibly re represent and have repercussions in real life yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Well. and that's another reason why j journalists often get targeted with a lot of hate um mm. by that same kind of vocal minority of, of gamers is because what they're doing often or the reason why they're being targeted is because they're asked they're just asking more from video games they're like they're saying i want to i want you to i want to hold you to a standard that you know, is worthy of critique. And I think a lot of people miss the fact that to critique something is to care deeply about it. It's not about trashing mm -hmm. your hobby and it's not about, it's not an attack on your identity as a gamer. It's about loving something so much that you, you just want it to be better. You want it to be good and you want it to keep up, I guess, and keep pace with, um, with the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's such a reductive view. Like you, you can't criticize something if you love it. It's like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> uh, it's like, I don't understand that. It's like, ah, oh, how can you think that way? But anyway. I mean, even, me. even within games criticism, I mean, less so now, but because a lot of game, games critics spent a long time trying to say video games don't make children violent. You know, video games aren't the causal, uh, they don't cause school shootings and so on there was a lot of effort put into it's just a game you know it's a bounded experience mm. people can erect very firm psychological boundaries between who they are in the game and who they are outside of the game and yeah of course the, the truth is somewhere between the two which is yeah obviously just playing a shooter isn't going to make you want to go out and get a gun and shoot people um but at the same time to say that the media we engage with 
as no effect on us at all <laughs> is obviously mm. wrong too and you know it might be in subtler ways and in more subconscious ways and it might even just be in you know in terms of habits and like I don't know kind of motoric skills <laughs> I, don't I mean those kind of things um or your memories right like you still file away memories even if you haven't you know I I feel like like rapture and Bioshock is a place that I've visited and I have memories mm -hmm. of being there in that space so to say like oh yeah you know video games don't matter or video games aren't um causing social change and everything is is I think also wrong although I can sympathize with people who are just so frustrated with all of these studies coming out of behavioral sciences and coming out of psychology and you know all of this kind of diagnosing of various disorders that are relating to games it's, it's pretty yeah it's tiring after a while Rashad are you there yeah. no yeah I'm here I'm just like <laughs> I am absolutely enraptured by this conversation this tends to okay. happen i'm just like i mean it's it's not really it's like mostly emma sharing her wisdom oh, with no and honestly emma you're like way overqualified to be talking to two schmucks like us so thank you so <laughs> no, much i want to hear what games like yeah i want to hear what games like you guys like and whether yeah like if there's been any experiences you've had playing a game where you've been like oh this really nails it or oh this is so problematic that i'm actually like no longer enjoying myself mm. I mean, I haven't been playing games for a long time just because of different circumstances. And um, so I can't really talk about the last like 10 years in video gaming, to be honest. I mean, I've kind of followed it just like every once in a while I dip my toe in it, into it. But um, uh, yeah, I can't really speak to the experience of a gamer. I mean, you have these, especially the like over-sexualization of women and the... Uh, almost exclusively like male characters main characters that i have experienced in my teenage years for sure um but also the kind of mm, games that i used to play i mean were very different i mean it was basically yeah there were one or two shooters in there but it's mostly pokemon and age of empires so <laughs> Uh, but even then, like Pokemon 2, right? You have, uh, you know, there was, it took a long time until you could even play uh, like a girl. Yeah. Even stuff like that is just like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, um, I mean, even like Age of Empires or like any strategy game as well. Like that's what I was saying before about thinking about representation beyond just who I can see on the screen, even though that is yeah. really, really important and it is really affirming to see yourself on the screen. But to look at the underpinning logics of a game like Age of Empires, not saying like, if you play this game, you're going to become an imperialist warlord, <laughs> but yeah. the truths of that game, you know, you come to, you come to internalize them to, to a degree, which is like might is right. And, um, well, not necessarily, I guess in, in some of these games you can win by diplomacy, but, um, yeah. it still gives you a sense of like the map is there to, spread my jam yeah. over like a piece of bread <laughs> exactly it's like yeah i need to dominate everyone else to be successful sort of thing and that's kind of the thing that it, it was really interesting because you you earlier talked about that kind of mechanic as you know how that's almost like a uh like the the stand like that's the standard in video games mm. where whereas in the last few years i got really into cooperative board games 
Yeah. And that's like a huge twist on like how games have been played until very recently for the most part. Um, my favorite example is something that is uh, unfortunately like d due to COVID like a little weird but this, like the best example for that is Panda is a game called pandemic legacy yeah oh, i haven't played legacy i love pandemic og but yeah yeah oh the story mode is so good you should really play it it's it's incredible and the legacy one you literally rip up cards and you like you, you yeah. can only play it change the board yeah see that's what i mean as well it's like you have that agency there with and again agency is a loose sense but the fact that you have to face the consequences of your decisions I think, again, makes video games so exciting for, as tools for social cohesion, as tools for, like, yeah, making people, teaching people or letting, giving people, like, a, a virtual space in which they can test out their morals and, you know, that, yeah, in a, in, a, in a board game, it's a safe space, it's a playful space, or in a video game, but you, you still have to reckon with the consequences and you're still deeply invested in them. It's not like some clinical trolley problem where you're not really you know you can think about it in a kind of cold and sterile way you know in the heat of the game your objectives are aligned with whatever you know you want to play well and you have all these different kind of stakeholders in a video game anyway where they're kind of pleading their case to you and you know and there's no clear right answer and I think that's that's really cool like you can simulate moral gray area in a video game and then mm. make people take responsibility for it. You know, they can't separate themselves and be like, well, I would never, um, you know, kill all the children in order to ensure the, ensure the survival of my more productive members of my society. I, you know, if you're watching a film about Stalin or something, <laughs> but then in a video game, you're like, oh man, if I, if I don't sacrifice my children, you know, maybe the whole, whole group is doomed or something like that. I don't know why I'm picking such an extreme example there, but even like small things like, <laughs> shall I talk to this girl or what shall I say to her to, to flirt with her and mm. that kind of thing. Yeah, computers can model an independent will that can kind of grant and deny closeness, interpersonal closeness, and that can um, respond to you and correct you basically and give you this feedback loop that um, makes you feel like, yeah, you're actually engaging in some kind of social encounter. Um, and I think positioning that as a ludic skill and saying like when you spend time in video games you're actually honing and you're thinking through and you're experimenting with and it can still be fun as well like I'm not saying it needs to be a teaching tool or something like that but yeah games in which you learn something about yourself um and learn something about the world through the process of of having the simulated experience that's i think super cool wow. you want to talk about your the games you're playing rashad uh i don't like honestly i've this whole time i've been thinking to myself like what's the last video game that i played that wasn't like smash or mario kart yeah <laughs> I, I think i've just like lost so much of like that aspect of my experience over the past like 10 years and that's i guess very sad but i mean i played maybe over the summer i played maybe 10 hours of jedi fallen order but that was more star warsy um that was more for star wars reasons than anything else and i enjoyed it and actually like i remembered like actually some of the older video games that i liked to play as a kid but i i don't 
yeah I, i'm so sorry i just don't have an answer for you like uh, if you want recommendations for like small games that you can actually fit into your life that aren't just like red dead redemption 2 or whatever where you need 100 <laughs> hours to play it um there's a mobile game by a game developer called mountains that's called florence and it's like takes about 40 minutes to play it through and it's somewhere between a kind of visual novel and a what kind of like a graphic novel and a and a game but in terms of representation I think it's beautiful and what's really interesting about that game as a case is that it's wordless storytelling so it only shows you about the characters and tells you about the characters through well through the audio visuals obviously but also just through your mechanical engagement with them through the experience of touching the screen essentially and feeling with them like feeling in both senses of, of the word there um so yeah and i think it's super cheap it's definitely like i think it was 199 when i got it but it was a really profound experience and i've gone back to it a lot of a lot of times um and then like there's so many free browser games that are really quick to play um that have kind of interesting representation in them um there's a, such a cute game i played the other day called boat prom and it's free and you can just google it to play and it's kind of like a hypertext adventure um but it's just about a kind of yeah a chaos bisexual at a, <laughs> at a prom <laughs> trying to figure figure out stuff um yeah and some other fun ones like there's a game by momo pixel just called hair nah like n-a-h and it's just about the experience of being a black woman on a plane and people trying to touch your hair and it's again it uses that emo- those emotions of agency to just oh, wow. Yeah, it uses the mechanics as a metaphor, but it really makes you feel how annoying that is and how frustrating that is as someone who's never experienced it firsthand. I think it's a good example. And yeah, so many good free games. You Are Jeff Bezos is one of my favorite all-time hypertext games. Um, Yeah, so... <laughs> there's a lot of cool stuff that's what i mean like we we get stuck a little bit on like these big games that cost mm. 60 pounds to buy and everything and actually like yeah. there's beautiful games out there that are either free or nearly free and they are doing things that yeah are really really profound oh yeah another one is um bury me my love which is like based on interviews with syrian refugees but it's just a mobile game and it's free um and it's a story game and it, I feel like it taught me so much more than even just like hours and hours of poring over news articles and, you know, trying my best to understand what what the political situation is like there and what what is it, you know, it's about a woman trying to get to Germany, but like what does she actually have to do and go through and what decisions does she have to make and what calculated risks is she having to take because you have to take those risks, right? Like you have to weigh up for them and be strategic and try your best to yeah a guide and advisor and that's something that you don't experience when you're just reading a news article about you know a hundred nameless people who had to go through this exact thing um wow just like you know hearing your recommendations just it's thinking to me that there's a whole world of things out there that is just very i don't know like it's, it's, it seems so foreign to me just like all these other things all these things that you're mentioning i'm just like i have no no concept of anything here and <laughs> it's great to just kind of get a few of these entry points that you have already mentioned of like as you've been talking i've been taking some screenshots of like you know i apple store or whatever just like to get them in the future but it's definitely great 
thank you so much for these recommendations and right. I, i'm gonna do like something mean to you and i'm so sorry i didn't tell you oh no <laughs> Shad, what are you doing you're gonna do a top four yes so but but i'm not gonna like unless you have it already prepared i'm not going to have you rank your top four video games of all time that would be a little too mean oh, potentially but maybe instead of something wow. a la that maybe if you could give maybe four recommendations that you would specifically give as entry points into this type of vi video game experiences uh, well like okay yeah that's that an easier sense? question because i'll just yeah. i'll flounder if i try to do yeah. a top four game um <laughs> although actually the first game that came to mind was hades which has already been been mentioned today but that's just my favorite game of of this year um and it has good representation as well um well think but... about the top four video games of all time and then we'll come bring you on again to discuss yeah. that yeah <laughs> they, oh my god imagine how much of a, a, a stir that will cause someone top video games of all time not the, the top, but, but maybe your, your favorite. favorite that's a difference right yeah so. um okay so games for people who haven't gamed for a while or who um maybe have never gamed before that have good representation i think like oh, it's still a really it's still a really tough question um you I can mean, take all I the do... time that you need obviously yeah I'll just ponder this for a second um i mean i do think life is strange too as i've said is is a really good example of what the medium can do and it doesn't take a lot of technical ability to play that game because it's it's not about kind of your your twitch reflexes or like that kind of thing so i think i would recommend that for people who yeah haven't gamed for a while um there's a game called heaven's vault by inkle where you play as a kind of um, female archaeologist and she's deciphering like an ancient text I actually recommended this to Rashad's mom recently so it's probably why it's on my mind um but again it's it's if you think if when you think about video games the first thing that comes to your mind is like Grand Theft Auto if you think that's what games are that they are just these um kind of playgrounds of mortality these sandboxes of violence um there may be games with different mechanics might kind of help with that um else i mean I, all i can think about is just like what games i'm playing right now which is really, <laughs> really not helpful um i mean i do i think the last first part too again it's not a good entry level game for someone who hasn't played for a while um because it is this like quite brutal survival horror game but um in terms of seeing the nuance and the yeah the power of, of game storytelling i think it's it does that really well yeah, I'm absolutely choking on this question. Sorry. Okay, okay. let's 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 do that. Well, you can maybe compile a list of recommendations, and we can put it up on our website. Yeah, that would be good. Because <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's like, don't ask you a question, and your yeah, your brain just like empties, empties yeah. all suggestions. Um, but I'm sure there are some good ones out there. I promise. I mean, I. I yeah, I, I there's a game called What Remains of Edith Finch, which doesn't it there's no characters in the game, um, in the sense that like it's just it, it is another one of these kind of gone home style walking sims where the main character is in fact the environment, like it is the house that you that you are in. But um the mechanic of the game is that you relive the final moments 
um, of each of your ancestors right leading up to their deaths, which sounds very morbid, but the game itself is this really um, joyful, really peaceful kind of magical realist, um, yeah, like enchanting world. Um, so it's a lot less kind of dark and bleak than you think. But I think it does it does show that, that uh, identity tourism thing that I was speaking about before quite well because it's a first-person perspective game and you're playing as a character called, called Edith, what names of Edith Finch. Um, and throughout the game, I think, you know, you think you know her and you think that you are her in a sense, that there's a real closeness between the two of you um, for a lot of reasons, not least because every time that she goes into the kind of, she kind of does this kind of exorcism of one of her ancestors, she goes into the, their spirit body, she kind of takes control of that ancestor like an avatar. So you have a real like closeness between like what Edith is doing and what you're doing as a player. And you really feel quite safe in terms of how your identity is related to hers. And then, and no spoilers, but there's like a twist at the end of the game where you realize like, huh, yeah, no, like even there are limits to empathy. There are certain things that I can't know about somebody else. Um, and in terms of like a complex female character, you know, I would probably pick Edith over, you know, Aloy in Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, not like to dick on that game or to say that Aloy is not a good character, but there's just a kind of, there's a transparency to Aloy where it's like she is a design she's a creation and she she meets a lot of diversity requirements <laughs> in a way <laughs> but ultimately she's this complete whole that's like sealed off and she exists within the game world mm. um whereas someone like Edith is more like when you I guess when you encounter a character in a novel and you can really imagine how their life is outside of just the events described in the novel right like you can imagine them going about their day and living in a, in a real kind of breathing interactive world that's not for you i guess um yeah. yeah maybe that's why i think what remains of Edith finch is good because it reminds you that yeah you're here for a short time short time but a good time that's what i remember <laughs> like you're getting this vignette experience into somebody else's psyche but that's all it is and there's no sense of like there's no pandering to the player in the sense of like we're going to give you everything that you want you're going to take ownership of this character and you know, it's going to be yours. It's a, it's a, it's something that you can hold in your hand and grasp the whole thing of. It's like, no, I'm gonna. It's not about owning this character, but it's about belonging to this character. You are. There's a sense of belonging to each other that's reciprocal, and it's conditional as well. It happens within the four hours that it takes to play that game, and after that, it's it's over, and you you leave with the memories, but you don't. Yeah, you you don't get to own Edith. Um, she's mm -hmm. not yours in a way that sometimes avatars are like, look at my Cassandra from Assassin's Creed or whatever. Look at, yeah, my yeah. customized thing. I mean, you could always like, yeah, customize skins, choose like um, outfits and all, even from that kind of basic model, you kind of. Oh, I just thought of, I just thought of a good game, by the way, guys. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so they're for the, like, well, one is for the Switch. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. They're on PlayStation. I'm talking nonsense. Um, a good entry-level game for someone who hasn't played for a while is It Takes Two, which is made by the same people who made my favourite game of all time, which is Brothers A Tale of Two Sons, which is an old-ish game from 2014. But again, Brothers A Tale of Two Sons, you can play it in four hours. It's one of the most 
haunting experiences of my life. Like I'm a changed person because of my experience with that game. Um, wow. But it's it's dark and it's um, it's profound and it's kind of like not something you do just to pass the time. Um, but the same creators made this game called It Takes Two, which is where you play as a co-op game, as you're saying, Chris, like this isn't about competition and defeating each other or like even playfully kind of sparring with each other. It's about a game where you have to work together because you play as a couple who are going through a divorce. Oh, <laughs> I've, heard to, about, like, I've heard about that, yeah. It's so good. It's such a fun, silly, but like also very tender kind of like platform game. And um, yeah, because you could, because it's two player, you can play it with someone who's a bit more of an experienced gamer and they can kind of lead you through it. But ultimately, you know, the the play that you're having, the play experience that you're having is between the two of you rather than, well, it's between the two of you and what's happening on the screen in a triangle. But it's so, it's so lovely. And um, yeah, I really... I think that's a good recommendation. I'm happy with that as, a, as my, my choice. And it's, you know, it's not about like you play as two women and the two women are lesbians and the two women have mixed heritage and they have afros. No, it's not like about that. It's just like a you play as a man and a woman and it's about a different type of play experience that you maybe wouldn't expect from, from this medium. Would you recommend playing this with your partner or with someone else maybe <laughs> it's like um it's a bit like therapy <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> um, yeah that's what i've heard like yeah. i i heard someone talk about this uh game and recommended and they were playing it with their partner so yeah i mean i love i love co-op games like I, there's also a game called yeah. night nights and bikes which is more like a kid's game but if you want to play a game with your child um again in that one of the lead characters is a little ginger girl and the other one is a British Asian little girl, um, Indian heritage, I mean. And uh, yeah, like it's a local co-op game as well. So the whole premise of the game is that you use your kind of respective skill sets um, together. And I don't know, it's very it's very wholesome. And um, Un Unravel, which is one of my favorite games of all times as well. It's like an indie platformer. The first one was just, so you play as like a little woolen doll And it's set in this absolutely idyllic Swedish paradise, like most stunning, beautiful nature you've ever seen. And it's so calming to play this game. But in the second iteration, Unravel 2, there's two little dolls <laughs> and you can play together. And when one of them gets <laughs> tired, it like jumps up on the back of the other one and it gets a piggyback. <laughs> it's so cute. It's really cute. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it, it just going back to like what? subject what role does a game force you to play like what helmet is the game making you put on what suit is the game making you crawl into like in that game the it just creates an environment which two people can be just close and caring for each other and you know it's fun and it's, it's challenging and there's puzzles to solve but ultimately yeah the orientation that the game has for you is is just um it's a it says like the the most awesome thing about humans or that our biggest strength is actually our ability to work together and our ability to take care of each other and to not leave one little woolen doll behind hanging on a little sad strand of wool you know like that's what makes our species heroic again to go back to the idea of the hero is that we are such a social species and it's so incredible that we care for each other the way that we do and in modern society where we're kind of all atomized as these individuals who are competing against each other to succeed in the in the rat race or whatever it is or to 
quantify our successes in a way that we can compare them to other people and feel good about ourselves we completely lost sight of what yeah like what is special about our species I mean not just our species ants pretty much got it nailed as well <laughs> bees they're also pretty good they're they're in the top three <laughs> all this kind of stuff but yeah I mean like a video game where you play as a bee I think maybe that could reawaken us to the fact that mm. the skill that we should be honing through play and the skill that we do hone through play you know in, in the wild when you see the lion cubs playing together the skill that they're honing is like how to hunt and kill but it's also how to hunt and kill together as a as a pride and the skill that little humans are honing on the playground is a skill of like how to negotiate social relationships like what does it mean to have an encounter with somebody and for both of us to leave it feeling good you know that kind of thing and even when we're playing games where we're just running around and finger guns and shooting each other in a playground it's not re- it's not really about playing at killing each other it's about playing at killing each other and then making sure everyone's okay afterwards and making sure that people understand it's a game and that you're not really trying to you know bully people or whatever like that it's playing with power in interpersonal relationships and yeah i think even shooter games even first person shooter games even call of duty which i really hold a special grudge against is is actually on a fundamental level about that too especially like multiplayer team versions online like um it should be anyways although what i noticed is when my husband yost is playing call of duty all he's doing is just screaming at his friends online which is very different to like smash like rashad and you know about this but like yeah smash doesn't smash makes him giggle (laughs) to himself but call of duty just makes arguments and i'm sure that's to do with the type of orientation the type of subject position that it carves out for its playership like it definitely encourages this antagonism and animosity when even though it's a team-based game online anyways Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I was I was trying to like segue us into the uh, thank you so much for being here portion of the show when you were talking about cooperation, but then you just like another amazing thing after the next. So don't don't apologize. You don't need to apologize. You should not like, open the lid of this jar because it, yeah. <laughs> it stops coming out. <laughs> I can put the lid back on the jar. It's sealing now. Suction no, seal. No, no, it's no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was just like that would be that would have been like the perfect ending. Is like cooperation is what makes humans amazing. Okay, well I can, I can go back and say no, no, no. Awaiting pause afterwards. No, no, no. The thing is, Emma, with Chris, he's always looking for the perfect transition, and that's all he's thinking about. <laughs> okay, I have one for you, Chris. Video okay. games will be memorialized as the defining art form of the 21st century, and studying them can tell us something about our culture in the same way that studying the novel can tell us something about them. Like, oh, I fucked it up. I said, oh, and the jar just opened. I was like, oh, 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 and then other things. No way. This is all going to stay in. <laughs> Video games will be memorialized as the defining art form of the 21st century. Pause. Full stop, period. Stop talking. <laughs> jar. <laughs> Finito. <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you. I think we should we could talk to you about this for hours. Maybe you should think about starting your own podcast. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need more just come here. Just come back on. Yeah, or that. Well, if you, if you guys want to do a board game one, like we could totally, like oh, we yeah. didn't even talk about like tabletop 
play games today, oh, but like damn. tabletop role playing games, board games, they are getting so cool. Like it's mm. it's a kind of renaissance for for board games. So yeah, if yeah. I want to chat about that, I will be the lid will come off the jar again. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next week now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drop some more spoilers uh, for Matt Leacock's upcoming games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, it was a pleasure having you on and, uh, you know, we've we've learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners have too. Thanks so much and, for yeah. having me. It's been so fun to talk about this. Yeah, thank you so much, Emma. And the great things about having guests is that you can just listen to them talking about their passions and, you know, when the best guests just kind of like roll on, do the thing. And that's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so much. Like, it, it was definitely a pleasure and I can honestly say that I learned so much. So. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So I guess I'll address the listeners now. Um, if you, listener, liked what you heard, there are many ways you can support the show. But, Emma, what's the number one thing that listeners should do to support this show? They should give it a five-star rating and tell their friends about it. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, perfect. So perfect. <laughs> and, uh, Chris, if they want to get in contact with us, what should they do in that case? Uh, the best way to to reach out to us is to go to our website, seriallyhook.com, where you can find all of our contact info, whether that be Twitter or uh, email or our contact form. You can give us feedback, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. So Emma, good. do you have a sign-off that you want to go with? A <laughs> um, sign-off? Oh, you just love to put me on the spot, Rashad. <laughs> How about um, fatality? i'm sorry i hope that wasn't me like breaking an nda or something by releasing it too early maybe bleep this bit out (laughs) (laughs) matt Matt leacock is making a game about beep beep